Hello, all humans and interdimensional beings living on the planet Earth and beyond, and welcome to the latest edition of the Conspiraporn podcast, brought to you by Conspiraporn.com. My name is Mad, and I'll be your host today for this episode 8 of our broadcast, and a big thank you to the handful of people out there who are tuning in, as in um, episode 4 we talked about human evolution, ancient cave art, and the cave mystery schools, while we talked about the history of modern-day ufology in episode 6, and in the last episode, uh, it was just one hour of my original music. So, thank you all for checking this little podcast out, uh, wherever you may be listening uh, and residing in time or space. As I have no particular format for this show or specific themes, I just kind of decide to do an episode on whatever the hell I feel about uh, talking about every week, and that's the way it should be. And if anybody listening out there has any comments on previous episodes or ideas for future episodes, please feel free to hit me up because I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, but again, today's episode is episode number eight, and we're going to attempt to briefly tackle a subject uh, that I've always found utterly fascinating and monumentally important, and that is involving the existence of black holes and their implications not only in physics, but metaphysics and even uh, possible uh, spiritual implications. So you'll have to please excuse me, because this episode is going to jump around a little bit, and I'm sure I'll fumble from time to time, as we're dealing with a lot of information and details here. And I'm in no way an expert on anything, uh, but I hope uh, this episode kind of presents a uh, enough of an order so that it makes some kind of sense, and kind of perhaps could be utilized as a sort of beginner's course on the topic of black holes. Now, in 2019, uh, we supposedly had the very first image of a black hole revealed in a cohesive photograph with M87, a behemoth uh, residing in another galaxy, and which harbors about 6.5 billion times the mass of the Earth's sun. So today's episode goes right along with uh, the recent discovery as well as many other topics in relation to black holes and cosmic evolution, uh, which are continually emerging and being updated at all the times. And I want to say, <clears throat> if you believe uh, in flat Earth, or that space is nothing but a hologram orchestrated by the devil, and the moon is an artificial satellite created by aliens, that's fine. That's your prerogative. I don't trust NASA or Hubble either. There's plenty of reason to question the legitimacy of artist renderings and composite images and conflicting information, and there are valid questions uh, surrounding the 1969 moon landings, etc., etc. Uh, but I do believe in scientific method, and I do believe uh, we as a species, uh, we've made certain discoveries that have been proven, and uh, that enough evidence and mathematical calculations have been collected by enough scientists and astronomers all working in conjunction in order to formulate probable thesis, uh, at least in regards to the, val the validity of black holes and certain other aspects of wider cosmology. <clears throat> now, no one cannot deny um, the exponential advancements of technology over the past 125 years. And with that, I ask that you approach this episode with an open mind and consider the implications of not only black holes, uh, but of the history of the cosmos and the infinite nature of time and the intergalactic uh, universality of space. Now, if you legitimately believe the Earth is flat and that outer space is a lie, then you're probably not going to get too much out of today's episode of Conspiraporn. Uh, but I ask that you keep an open mind and a philosophical-minded nature as we proceed. Uh, we're going to cover some topics that not only relate to science and technology, 
uh, but also of cosmology, theoretical physics, metaphysics, mysticism, and mythological allegories. And it's sad that I even need to uh, preface this topic with a comment on flat earth. But alas, we live in 2021, and our knowledge and understanding of science and astronomy seems to be taking many steps backwards into the dark ages, at least in terms of the literacy and comprehension of the general public. Now, it's easier to believe in memes and TikTok celebrities than it is to try and understand the huge and complex ideas of scientific research and study as corroborated by hundreds of astronomers and scientists over hundreds of years. We can't allow science to be our new religion, but we also can't say that it's all a lie and a hoax and that there's no proof of anything. And uh, I don't mean this negatively or accusatory towards the general population, uh, but a great majority seems to be lacking in critical thinking skills, logic and rationality or the ability to comprehend these topics. Uh, they believe in extremes of uh, one way or the other. Um, they believe in uh, left and right. It's uh, real or it's fake. And we must always remember that we should be able to entertain certain information and topics without having to 100% believe in them. So with that being said, <clears throat> let's move forward. Today's episode of Conspiracy Porn, in which we're going to give a little rundown regarding the subject of the black hole. And particularly the evidence that a supermassive black hole resides at the heart of each and every galaxy. Um, so to get the ball rolling today, I'm going to read a recent article from Futurism.com. Uh, before we dig any deeper into the history of black hole research and popular theories, and we're going to deal with some of my own interpretations of this phenomena as well. But the article uh, is from a couple months ago from Futurism.com, and it reads, New paper says black holes could be as large as entire galaxies. Step aside, supermassive black holes. Scientists say there could be some black holes the size of an entire galaxy. The supermassive black holes go up to uh, nearly 100 billion solar masses. Queen Mary University of London astronomer Bernard Carr, who worked on the new research, told Futurism, If we define a slab, S-L-A-B, a stupendously large black hole, to be larger than this, then its radius must be at least the size of the solar system, around a hundredth of a light year. Uh, dynamical arguments suggest that the maximum mass for a slab in our universe is 100 billion billion solar masses, uh, with a size comparable to that of a galaxy. Uh, these cosmic monsters could exceed the upper constraints on size and mass uh, that seem to limit supermassive black holes, according to the new research. Carr and collaborators published in the journal Monthly Notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. These slabs, even accounting for their incredibly incredible density, could be even larger than an entire solar system, system and even the size of the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, the key to the research is the idea that slabs could have formed in intergalactic space during the earliest days of the universe, rather than like supermassive black holes that grow by feasting on stars in the center of our galaxy. Because they form differently, the slabs, therefore, wouldn't be constrained by the same size limits as supermassive black holes. Um, if these theoretical slabs are real... Uh, they could help scientists finally unravel the mysteries of dark matter, the invisible substance uh, thought to make up most of the mass in the universe, Carr explained in a press release. If they do exist out there in interstellar space, slabs and other primordial black holes could account for much of the universe's unexplained matter. However, as Carr cautioned futurism, we don't know for sure that slabs even exist.
And that is the end of the article. Now, I mainly started today's episode with that piece to try and whet the appetite of our imaginations uh, when it comes to information and theories regarding black holes. And pretty much everyone knows what the idea of a black hole is, uh, even if they don't understand exactly how they might work. Uh, The ideas of black holes have permeated pop culture and science fiction, if for nothing else than as a trope for stories of time travel and wormholes and intergalactic voyages. And aside from the topic of the Big Bang, there might be nothing that has captured the scientific imagination and ingrained itself into the human psyche as much as the existence of black holes. Some of the greatest minds of our time have dedicated much of their careers to the study and theoretical physics behind uh, the galactic implications uh, this has on the history of the cosmos. And I want to state, due to the fact uh, that time travel and wormholes are pretty much always associated with black holes in the realms of science fiction, I'm not really going to talk about time travel today. I'm instead just going to try to focus on some other areas and possibilities of black hole research. I just want to focus on black holes. Uh, Likewise, I'm not going to get into the ideas of string theory or dark matter because I just want to concentrate today over the next uh, 20 or 30 minutes or so on the ideas of black holes specifically. And let me say, a lot of today's episode is going to be uh, theoretical interpretations of my own regarding the phenomena of black holes. Uh, But let's get started with something that isn't theoretical, and that is the birth of the idea as well as the terminology of what we now know today as a black hole. <clears throat> now, excuse me in advance for how many times I say the word black hole on today's episode. Uh, I deeply encourage everyone to make a drinking game of it. You take a shot every time I say uh, black hole, or take a shot every time I say black and every time I say hole, and we'll really make it uh, something interesting. I, I deeply and firmly believe this show would be more interesting if everybody out there listening today uh, figured out a way to make a drinking game of them. Okay, let's move on. <clears throat> to properly approach the origins surrounding the theories and terminology of the black hole, uh, we actually have to go back to the year 1697, uh, when Sir Isaac Newton published Philosophia Naturalis Principia Mathematica, uh, which first set forth the notion of gravity and outlined his law of universal gravitation. Uh, thus, to consider the origins of the development of the black hole concept, uh, the understanding of gravity and also light must first be considered. Uh, Newton revolutionized the general understanding of gravity, among many other important scientific discoveries which he set forth, and it is in this general understanding of not only gravity, but of light, uh, and the possible interactions between gravity and light, uh, particularly on the scale of galactic proportions, which ultimately allowed for the idea of a black hole to become a theoretical possibility. Uh, Thus, with the fundamentals of gravity as proposed by Newton now in tow, it was a Natural philosophist and Jesuit clergyman, John Mitchell, who in 1784 uh, would propose the idea that there could exist a body sufficiently massive enough in the cosmos that even light could not escape its gravitational pull. Uh, Now, John Mitchell is often overlooked, uh, but he left behind a lot of extremely useful research regarding magnetism, gravity, light, and a variety of other subjects of astronomical importance. And Mitchell himself, uh, an astronomer, uh, built his own telescopes. Back in 1784, um, he didn't call them black holes, but he coined the term dark stars. And what I'm about to read is John Mitchell's proposal of these so-called dark stars uh, back in 1784. Quote, If there should really exist in nature any bodies whose density is not less than that of the sun and whose diameters are more than 500 times the diameter of the sun, since their light could not arrive at us 
or if there should exist any other bodies of a somewhat smaller size, which are not naturally luminous, of the existence of bodies under either of these circumstances, when we have no information from sight, yet, if any other luminous body should happen to revolve around them, we might still perhaps, from the motions of these revolving bodies, infer the existence of the central, run- central ones with some degree of probability, as this might afford a clue to some of the apparent irregularities of the, resol- of the revolving bodies, uh, which would not be easily explainable by any other hypothesis. And that's John Mitchell, 1784, trying to uh, give a an idea of how uh, light might not reach us if, if a body in space had enough gravitational pull, it might redirect the light, or it, the light might, might never reach us at all. Now, it took roughly 125 years uh, before the subject, the subject of dark stars or black holes, uh, was again picked up by the scientific community. And this was with the brilliant life and work of noted astrophysicist and mathematician Albert Einstein and his theory of general relativity in 1915. And primarily in the ideas of how there's a curvature in space and time related to the mass of an object and how this interplays with gravitational pull and the potential effects it could have uh, on light. Einstein's theory of uh, general relativity then sparked the interest of German physicist Karl Schwarzschild, who in 1917 helped to lend further speculation into the existence of so-called dark stars, uh, which Schwarzschild himself termed as frozen stars. Um, and while the concept had now been around in one form or another for 125 years, known by terms such as dark stars or frozen stars or collapsers or gravitationally completely collapsed objects, I don't know why that term never took off, uh, the expression that we now know as the black hole didn't come along until 1967, when astrophysicist John Wheeler coined the term, uh, though he himself attributed it to a random audience member who asked him a question about the subject in a 1967 lecture in which he was giving. So, long story short, as we approach the event horizon, it was in 1697 that the works of Isaac Newton first sparked the possibility of gravity affecting light on a cosmic scale, and then over a 100 years later in 1784, that philosopher and Jesuit clergyman John Mitchell coined the term dark star to describe this theoretical phenomena. And then 125 years later, that Einstein further proposed the possibility of supermassive objects uh, exerting tremendous gravity in which, potentially, light couldn't escape. And then it took another 50 years for the term black hole to be coined by, or at least uh, recognized as being popularized due to astrophysicist John Wheeler in 1967. Uh, Though it's believed uh, the, the term black hole might actually have started to be used as early as 1963. Now, whatever the case, by the late 1960s, the idea of a black hole and what it represented had entered the imagination of the mainstream. And perhaps there's no better example of how much this had entered the mainstream than by a 1967 episode of the classic Star Trek series entitled Tomorrow is Yesterday, in which the crew of the Enterprise encounters a dark star in space that sends them back in time to the 1960s. Now, already we have the idea that these dark stars could be used to, uh, as wormholes. Uh, to other regions of space, or as a means by which to time travel. There's always been a certain allure and perplexity and mystery surrounding the idea of black holes, uh, representing a certain kind of bridge between the ideas of science and the ideas of the metaphysical. And throughout the 1970s and 80s and 90s and beyond, uh, now officially having a name, black holes continue to be a major focal point for theoretical science and the implications uh, these massive beasts might have on the birth of the universe and our cosmic evolution. 
And all this is not even to mention Dr. Stephen Hawking, who was a huge influence on the study of black holes for the past 50 years. And he helped to keep the subject fresh in the public spotlight. Now, I only went over all this today to give a little uh, idea of how the theories and the terminology of the black hole came into being over the past 300 or so years. That's a very long time for a scientific idea to percolate. Not many people realize that the theories of the black hole spans back three centuries in human history, uh, all originated by ideas first presented by Sir Isaac Newton regarding light and gravity. And here we are at the halfway point of today's episode, and to break up the monotony, I'd like to allow my co-host Alberta G. Rhythm uh, to speak a few words. Now, she has a short message she'd like to relay today in relation to today's topic of black holes. And then I'll be right back to finish up this episode of the Conspiraporn Podcast, brought to you by www.conspiraporn.com. Hello, Alberta G. Rhythm here to share a fun fact on today's episode of Conspiraporn. Did you know that every single word, no matter what it is, collapses back in on the four? Collapses back in on the four. Collapses back in on the number four. What do I mean by that? Well let me give you an example by picking a completely random word, such as the word random. Random has six letters, the number six has three letters, three has five letters, and five has four letters, and thus the word random collapsed back in on the number four. See what I'm getting at? Let's try another word, or pairing of words, such as the words black hole. Black hole has nine letters, and nine has four letters, and thus, again, it collapsed back in on the four. What about the word revelation? Revelation has ten letters, the number ten has three letters, three has five and five has four. And then again, it all collapses back in on the number four. If you don't believe me you can try this with any word. Try this with any word. Try this with any word. It all falls back into the four. And what's so significant about the number four? Is it mystical or magical? The number four plays prominently throughout religion and mythology and the natural seasons. The ancient Greeks depicted the number four as a triangle or pyramid, which was then adapted to the modern version of the number four which also resembles a triangle. We have the four seasons of spring, summer, fall and winter, we have the four directional points of a compass and the four points of the Christian cross. In the Bible the fourth day is stated as when God created the sun, the moon, and the stars and is considered the number of creation in all material things. In the book of Revelation we have four horsemen of the apocalypse. In numerology the number four represents energy and vibration as well as stability and focus. It represents justice, patience and wisdom. The number four has many different symbolic meanings over the course of human history and religion, and I encourage you to look deeper into it for yourself. Let's try it one last time and see how any word will collapse back in on the four. We'll use my name, Alberta. The name Alberta has seven letters, seven has five letters, and five has four. Try it with any word and you'll get the same results, it all collapses in on the four, much like a black hole. And speaking of black holes, We now return to the Conspiraporn podcast as we continue taking an in-depth look into the creation of the universe and the topic of black holes. This has been Alberta G. Rhythm. Until next time, until next time, until next time. (laughs) 
Thank you, Alberta. Always nice to hear from you, and you definitely provided some food for thought. Now, as we start the second portion of today's program, I want to read an excerpt from a great book from 1973. It's entitled Black Holes, The End of the Universe, question uh, mark, by John G. Taylor, who was a professor of mathematics at King's College in London. I'm going to recommend several books, uh, several of my favorite books on these topics at the end of today's episode, Uh, but I wanted to kick off this portion of the show with the opening introduction of the book Black Holes, The End of the Universe. If you can't tell, you can hear that this is actually a book. I'm reading from a book. Can you believe it? I know. I didn't know people still did that. Preface. This book is an attempt to explain one of the most important developments in the science of this century, the advent of the black hole. Inside this object, formed by the collapse of a heavy star to such a condensed state that nothing, not even light, can escape from its surface, the fundamental laws governing our universe appears to be destroyed, along with our usual concepts of space and time. The black hole not only puts the scientific world in turmoil, but also challenges many of man's most basic ideas about his surroundings and his place in them. The implications of the black hole for man are as important, if not more so, than for science. They are especially relevant to man's attempts to grapple with the unknown and push his powers of reasoning to the ultimate when he tries to answer the basic questions of life and death, of animate and inanimate matter. The black hole brings us face to face with the mysteries of the world. That is why the first three chapters of this book are concerned with trying to assess exactly what these mysteries are and what attitude to take towards them. The following three chapters introduce the black holes, discuss its observational evidence, and describe how to use it as a source of energy. The surprises and horrors of the black hole interior are then considered. The death of intrepid explorers explorers in its interior is a very minor aspect of these possibilities, which include time travel and visiting to other universes. At this stage, it is possible to consider how new ideas brought by the black hole and of highly condensed matter can give new understanding of the beginning and the end of the universe, as well as answer a string of puzzles about historical records of the past. The book closes with a discussion on how the black hole must cause a radical change in our understanding of many concepts so long cherished by man, immortality, reincarnation, dialectic, space, time, mind, the universe itself, and certainty in that universe. In total, the black hole requires a complete rethinking of our attitude towards life. It leads to the liberating conclusion. In the beginning, there was no beginning. In the future, there will be no future. Man is at one with the black hole universe. And here's the portion of the program where we make a drinking game out of this. Now, before we proceed, I'm sure most people listening today, they understand this fact, uh, but just to touch on it again, the idea is that black holes were once supermassive stars, much larger than our own sun, that eventually live out their lives and run out of fuel, and due to their large size, they then expand over billions of years, becoming red giants, before reaching a terminal point of gravity and imploding in on themselves with such velocity and momentum that they create unbelievably dense objects in which the gravitational pull is so immense that not only can light not escape, but the object can then bend both space and time itself. Now, I'll admit I've never understood the complex mathematical equations and the formulas behind these theories and the evidence for black holes, uh, but I'm easily able to understand the speculative and theoretical and even philosophical implications. Uh, based upon the research and the observations of hundreds of astronomers and scientists over the past 100-plus years. I'm able to consider the deeper ramifications of cosmic evolution 
and the birth of the cosmos. I'm not an exceptionally smart person. I was never exceptionally good in school. I've never had exceptionally good memory, and I'm not an expert on anything. Uh, but I've always had a fascination with these topics and the topics of astronomy and cosmology and galactic history and how this ties into not only topics of a scientific nature, uh, but topics of a metaphysical and even of a spiritual nature. Uh, my imagination is able to comprehend the information being made available. Uh, I've always been researching these topics in some capacity for decades. Uh, but even then, I am barely even an amateur when it comes to theoretical physics and theoret theoretical topics of cosmic evolution. I'm trying to constantly increase my meager understanding and uh, better articulate these ideas into life. I'm always seeking to increase my awareness of these facts and these possibilities, uh, even if they're just theoretical possibilities. And th with that being said, uh, on that same note, uh, let me read a very short couple of paragraphs uh, from a recent article in Space.com uh, posted earlier this year. And this is in relation to the first article that I read today, and basically to ask the question of size and just how big a black hole can get. And as well as the fact that we have so much yet to discover about black holes and their potentials. Uh, new ideas and technological advancements are coming along every year to better focus into these events. Um, so, again, the following is uh, an article from Space.com from earlier this year. It reads, New evidence suggests the first known black hole is bigger than previously thought, which may force scientists to reconsider their understanding of how giant stars give rise to black holes. Uh, scientists think stellar mass black holes, which contain up to a few times the sun's mass from when giant stars die and collapse in on themselves. The first black hole ever discovered was Cygnus X1, located within the Milky Way in the constellation of Cygnus, the Swan. Astronomers saw the first signs of a black hole in 1964 via gas it sucked away from a closely orbiting blue supergiant star. As this gas spiraled into the black hole, it became so hot it emitted high-energy X-rays and gamma rays that the satellites could detect. A trio of studies in 2011 suggested that Cygnus X1 was located about 6,070 light-years from Earth, but the new research suggests that the black hole is actually about 7,240 light-years away. Because of other characteristics of the object are calculated based on distance, the new calculation argues that Cygnus X1 is quite a bit larger than scientists had originally realized. Uh, they think it's up to 50% larger than they realized. Uh, and that's the end of that article. Uh, but what this article from early 2021 is basically stating here is that uh, there is so much that we do not know or understand about black holes. Uh, the first supposed black hole, Cygnus X1, discovered in the 1960s, is believed to actually be 50% bigger than previously thought, as well as much farther away than scientists originally believed. Now, please excuse me. I'm going to attempt to visualize something here uh, without the use of a slideshow or video or any fancy special effects. Uh, but what I'm going to attempt to visualize here is the size frame and comparison of black holes and try to wrap our minds around the mental picture regarding the actual size and mass that we're dealing with here. Now, the scientific consensus is that there's anywhere from 10 million to a billion black holes just in the Milky Way galaxy alone. Now, I know that's a very wide range and a lot of room for error, uh, but needless to say, it's believed that there are many, many, many black holes just in the Milky Way. And the largest known black hole in the universe is dubbed Ton 618 and has a solar mass that is 66 billion times greater than our sun. 
And Tun 618 rests at the heart of a galaxy that is about 10.4 billion light years away from Earth. Now, by comparison, and this is directly related to size here, the star known as UY Scuddy in the Milky Way galaxy, our own galaxy, is the largest known star, and it's believed to be 1,700 times bigger than our sun. Uh, so that's a bit of an idea there for us, that uh, UY Scuddy is the largest known star in our galaxy and is 1,700 times bigger than our sun, and that the largest known black hole in the universe is called Tun 618 and has a gravitational pull and influence that measures the size of 66 billion of our sun. Now, it's generally theorized uh, that the reason Tun 618 is so large, 66 billion times the mass of our sun, is because uh, that it's the result of possibly billions of mergers of black holes uh, that were formed by the earliest stars in the universe that were clustered in a specific region of space. And these stars uh, were so massive and they burned intensely and burned out quickly, only having a lifespan of millions of years, as opposed to our own sun, which is thought to be around four and a half billion years old and be middle-aged at that. And it has another four and a half billion years of fuel and lifespan left to burn. So the earliest stars in our universe uh, would, would have been truly massive, uh, would have burned brightly and fiercely and then extinguished quickly in only a few million years, forming black holes, uh, which then merged into what would eventually become Tun 618. And to try to bring Tun 618 down to size, uh, let me try to explain it this way. From the sun to the planet Neptune in our solar system is roughly 2.7 billion miles, and Tun 618 is so large that is nearly 40 times that diameter from the sun to the planet Neptune. So it would take uh, 40 times the trip from the sun to Neptune to, to be as large as Tun 618. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we are getting into some ideas that are both deep and enormous here. So allow me to try and step back a little bit. Our own galaxy, which humans have dubbed the Milky Way galaxy, and uh, ironically, the word galaxy itself is derived from the Latin word lactis, which also relates to milk. But our Milky Way galaxy is estimated to be 100,000 light years across. That means it would take light, uh, traveling at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, it would take roughly 100,000 years to reach from one end of our galaxy to the other. And on that same note and train of thought, uh, the diameter of the sun is about 865,000 miles in diameter. Uh, so it takes about five seconds for the speed of light to travel the circumference of our sun. And it in turn takes about eight minutes for the light from our sun to reach the Earth. And going even deeper, ladies and gentlemen, it is estimated that it takes about 40,000 years for the solar energy at the core of our sun to make its way to the surface of the sun, which then sends light to Earth and across our solar system. So the light reaching us today takes eight minutes to get here, but it actually originated 40,000 years ago in the heart of our sun. And within our own galaxy, there might be as many as a billion black holes. And our galaxy, the Milky Way, is one out of hundreds of billions of galaxies. And Tun 618 is roughly 10.4 billion light years away. And as with Tun 618, it is uh, generally believed that at the very center, at the very heart of every single galaxy, there is a supermassive black hole of unbelievable proportions and gravitational intensity. Now, the black hole at the center of our own galaxy is known as Sagittarius A, and is approximately 4.2 million times more massive uh, with the co coinciding gravitational pull as compared to our own sun in our solar system. 
And recent evidence suggests that Sagittarius A is not alone at the center of our galaxy, but that another nearby black hole might be residing, uh, which is about 100,000 times uh, uh, the size of our own sun. And in which case, it's likely that those two black holes will one day merge. That being said, the black hole at the heart of the Milky Way is about average size or even small size uh, in, in comparison to other central black holes. And the Milky Way itself is rather average in size as well. Uh, the largest known galaxy, which is called IC1101, it would take about 4 million light years to reach from one side to the other of that galaxy as compared to our own Milky Way galaxy, which is roughly 100,000 light years across. So we are dealing in sizes and distances that are almost incomprehensible. And we can question this all we want. We are free to question science and the consensus and the supposed evidence of science. And a lot of it is indeed theoretical, and it's worthy of questioning. Uh, It is mind-boggling information, and it begs to be questioned. And asking these questions is the only way that theories can evolve and that we can discover better methods and evidence to prove uh, scientific theories. Uh, But for the sake of argument, let me play devil's advocate here. What if not only are there indeed a billion black holes just in our galaxy alone, uh, but also at the center of each and every galaxy, which might be uh, hundreds of billions of galaxies beyond our own Milky Way? Uh, What if there is a monumentally massive black hole at the core and heart of every single galaxy? Now, at the beginning of this episode, we read a recent article uh, asking if black holes could grow as big as, the, an, as an entire galaxy. And there are some scientists and researchers who believe that all of known space resides within a giant black hole and that the space uh, we can observe is within a black hole. Uh, all of the space that we see is actually a black hole, according to some research and theories. And to me, this raises many not only uh, philosophical questions, but also metaphysical and mystical questions. To me, this entire study of black holes and cosmic evolution is not only scientific and of the nature of theoretical physics, but also of a philosophical and a metaphysical nature. And perhaps that's part of why black holes are such a popular subject of intrigue and debate. Uh, Not only is it a scientific subject, but it is one of a mystical nature. Whatever the case, uh, they surely capture the imagination with a million different possibilities and implications of cosmic evolution. Now, if we consider that black holes do indeed reside at the center of every galaxy, and if we consider the fact that the black holes are formed by an implosion of supermassive stars, it begs the question of just how big the original star that makes up our Milky Way would have had to have been in order to expel enough fuel and materials which would ultimately create the Milky Way. And yes, that's what I'm proposing, and a lot of uh, other researchers and scientists propose this possibility as well, uh, that every black hole at the center of every galaxy would have once had to have been a star that existed before the formation of that galaxy. So again, let's entertain the notion that there uh, is a black hole at the center of each and every galaxy, and would have had to have once been a star. In order for that to have been the case, the original star at the center of our galaxy would have had to have been uh, on the order of magnitude far beyond anything which has so far been proposed or so far been discovered. And if the largest star in our galaxy that we know about is UI Scuddy, and that's about 1,700 times bigger than our own sun, uh, then I would have to guess the original star at the center of the Milky Way galaxy would have had to have been millions of times larger in order of magnitude. And being such a monumentally massive star, it would have had to have lived an incredibly short lifespan before expending its energy and then imploding. Now, let's imagine that, uh, the star at the center of the Milky, Milky Way galaxy. Uh, Before the birth of our galaxy, before the birth of the Milky Way, it was billions of times larger in magnitude than our sun. 
and it expelled its energy extremely quickly uh, before imploding and becoming the black hole known as Sagittarius A. Uh, right now, it's the general consensus uh, that in almost all the billions of galaxies, that at the very center resides a supermassive black hole. In order for that to be the case, and as stellar implosion is the most common way in which black holes are stated to form, uh, then it would be reckoned to believe that before the birth of every galaxy, there was a star of incredible proportions, immensely larger than anything that has so far been discovered, in the magnitude of millions of times larger than our own sun. Uh, if I may coin a phrase, uh, these would have been God stars, a family of billions of primordial God stars that would quickly collapse and form uh, the galaxies, and in turn, the black holes which reside at the center of each and every galaxy. And these stars would have flashed in and out of existence at such a fast rate, at least on the known cosmic scale of uh, 14.5 billion years that we so-called, you know, so far say is how old the universe is. Uh, but these stars uh, would have been witnessed as big bangs and seemingly an instantaneous event, despite the fact that the star's lives uh, might have lasted thousands of years. Now, a thousand-year star would be little more than a flash when considering the proposed 14.5 billion-year life cycle of the so-called known universe as we know it today. And perhaps when we try to witness the so-called Big Bang, uh, that we've tried to visualize it as a singular event or a singularity, uh, what we are actually witnessing is the death of a billion supermassive black stars, uh, supermassive stars, excuse me, uh, that all expended their life energy in a similar time frame expelling massive amounts of energy and matter all within a relatively close period at the birth of our quote unquote known universe. In which case what we're witnessing uh, as our universe estimated to be about 14.5 billion years old, it would just be the newest incarnation of that which existed before. And it's not a popular opinion in the scientific community. Uh, but what if these supermassive black holes at the center of each and every galaxy can actually reignite at some point? and form a new central star. Uh, what if, like the phoenix, the life and death cycles of these god stars and the life and death cycles of black holes can be interchangeable? And that is to say, what if the black hole can again become a star and vice versa? And how many times might this cycle of death and rebirth play out in the cosmic scheme of things? And my idea when thinking and reflecting on this topic is that perhaps black holes uh, might reignite uh, at least black holes at the center of the galaxies uh, might reignite uh, once it's reclaimed enough materials and fuel and the velocity of the hole increases and the speed uh, once the fuel source begins to run out and having devoured everything else, it begins, to, it begins to devour itself. And this in turn causes a certain friction and combustion, uh, which might serve to reignite the long lost flame at its core. The star or the God star at the center of a, a galaxy, which becomes a black hole, and then at some point reignites, and this cycle could be eternal. Black holes wouldn't be so much a compactor of materials as they would be a recycling bin of galactic materials, infinitely, infinitely reshaping things into new galaxy formations over the course of possibly hundreds of billions of years or even eternally. And I know eternity is something very difficult for humans to wrap their minds around, but nonetheless, that doesn't mean that eternity isn't real. And we're again dealing in a mystical nature as opposed to a strictly scientific nature. Not only is there a God star, but the black hole could represent a Christ-like element, the crucifixion upon the black hole, in order to be reborn again as a star. I can't help but see all of this, everything we've discussed in today's episode, 
as having metaphysical implications and spiritual implications. The conquering of death, the transmutation of the black hole into an alchemical source of cosmic evolution, a phoenix, a resurrection, an endless cycle of the universe which is so far beyond what human science has so far speculated or presented, but of which also does have a deeper root in mysticism and certain elements of philosophy and religion and mythology and even human psychology. And we can think about many of these topics, such as black holes and the origins of the universe, as being some people might think it's too dry or it's too mathematically based. They're not interested in it. They find it boring or as suffering from being completely theoretical and untrustworthy information. But I deeply and genuinely and sincerely believe that there is a deeper and more meaningful symbolism and allegory to be discovered here with all this. Uh, there is a growing mythology merged with science. So to reinstate a few of the points and touch on them again today before we close today's episode, here are some of the closing statements that I'd like to make. One, the study and research of the subject of black holes actually originated at least 300 years ago and has evolved as our technology has advanced. Two, though the idea had been around for 300 years, it wasn't until the 1960s that the term black hole became popularized. Three, Despite our technological and scientific advancements, as well as some of the most brilliant minds on the planet tackling the subject of black holes, there is still so much that is unknown about these celestial objects, and while we're learning a little bit more every day, they still remain highly mysterious and full of mind-boggling potentials. 4. The black hole at the center of our Milky Way is about 4.5 million times as big as our sun, while the largest known black hole in the universe is roughly 66 billion times more massive than our sun. And the two black holes that I just mentioned are central black holes at the center of the galaxies and that reside at the heart of the galaxies. But yet there are possibly as many as a billion black holes uh, residing just in the Milky Way alone. And some scientists believe the entire known universe actually resides itself within one giant formation of a black hole that takes up all of space. Five, if there is a supermassive black hole at the center of every galaxy, that means at one point this would have been an immensely giant star, which resided at the center of what would become known as the Milky Way, and inside this star would have been all of the materials that would eventually become our galaxy. And for lack of a better term, I'm calling these God stars, and they would have been in a family of billions of gargantuan stars that existed before the known universe, and lived very fast lives, which would have only been seen in existence uh, for a few thousand years. Though time wouldn't have existed anyway, uh, no one to witness time, so it's impossible to put a time frame on their short lives. But whatever the case, their lives would have been extinguished so quickly in the cosmic scheme of things that to a certain perception, it might be witnessed as a single flash or a big bang. These god stars, number six, number six, these god stars expanded into red giants before collapsing into the black hole that makes up the heart of every galaxy. And in my opinion, it is possibly these central black holes to one day, many billions of years from now, to reignite due to an increase in speed and friction and materials, which would cause a new spontaneous combustion of energies, like the idea of the phoenix or like the idea of death and resurrection. It's possible that these central black holes and their god star counterparts can ignite and implode an infinite number of times, forming entirely new galaxies with the same recycled materials over and over again, possibly infinitely. Seven, 
And something we didn't really discuss in today's episode, uh, I'd like to take a moment to express, is that not only can black holes collide and merge with each other, uh, but also entire galaxies can collide and merge with each other, making new galaxies. And some scientists believe that every galaxy is itself revolving around a central focal point, much in the same way our Milky Way is spiraling towards a black hole at our center, or the way the planets revolve around the sun in our solar system. Uh, there's an idea that every galaxy is revolving around the same central point, uh, which could possibly be uh, a black hole at the center of all of time and space, and which makes up the backdrop of the entire known universe. Eight. Uh, the topic of black holes opens the floodgates to many other theories and possibilities, including wormholes, warp holes, time travel, string theory, dark matter, and many other fascinating subjects to ponder. And while we're learning a little bit more every year about these objects, and while they are part of an evolving scientific process, as well as an evolving mythology, uh, they still remain enigmatic and mysterious. Science and technology have come so far over the past hundred years, and as we're moving exponentially towards a sort of technological singularity, it would be very interesting to see where this research leads over the next decade or two. And that about concludes today's episode of Conspiraporn. Uh, there were so much, so many other topics we could have went into with black holes. I really just tried to focus on the black hole itself without getting into string theory and time travel and uh, dark matter and the like. I just wanted to give a, a little short rundown of the history of the term black hole, where it came from, where the scientific idea originated, as well as to give a few of my own ideas uh, regarding black holes, particularly black holes that reside at the center of every galaxy. So that's about it for today's episode of Conspira Porn. Uh, I want to thank everyone who tuned in. Hope you'll check out the next episode and possibly the next couple of episodes as I think I'm going to attempt a rundown on the idea of horror and the supernatural, as well as my favorite movies and books on the subject of horror and the supernatural. And speaking of books, I would like to leave you with a uh, short list of some of my favorite books uh, re regarding cosmic evolution and the topic of black holes. Uh, we already mentioned the word uh, black holes, uh, the work, black holes, uh, the end of the universe by John G. Taylor. Uh, likewise, I very highly recommend the 1981 book Cosmic Dawn by astrophysicist Eric Chasen. Uh, the 1987 book simply entitled Chaos by author James Glake. Uh, the classic 1998 book, A Brief History of Time, by Stephen Hawking. And the great 1995 book entitled uh, Vital Dust, by Christian de Duve. And there are surely uh, several dozens of other books and resources we could list on these subjects. Uh, but the books I just mentioned have always been a few of my favorites on the topic of the birth of the cosmos and of black holes. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for today's episode of Conspiraporn, brought to you by Conspiraporn.com. Not sure this episode really did what I intended for it to do in uh, terms of black holes. Maybe we'll come back to this subject some other day. Uh, trying every week just to kind of, you know, tackle one or two subjects that I really want to focus on and then move on to the next thing next week. But I hope some of you got uh, some useful information and perspective today regarding the subject of cosmic evolution and black holes. Uh, I hope you'll check out Conspiraporn.com. Uh, I've got a few other websites I'm trying to keep updated as well, including my personal blog, primordialproductions.info, and my new art page that is dedicated to nothing but my original art at www.geneticmemory.online. So I hope you'll tune into the next episode as I cover my own interpretations and thoughts on the history of horror and the supernatural. Until next time, thanks for listening in, and peace profound.
Yeah.